perspective. Don and Marie-José live in Pretoria, South Africa. They use Pretoria as a hub to travel across the entire continent of Africa. Their ministry consists of three keys, and you're going to hear about those today. CLI, uh, Commissioning a Lifestyle of Integrity, which moves beyond anti-corruption programs and promotes a pro-integrity lifestyle. I can remember the many years of ministry that Don and Marie spent at Evangel Downtown, and integrity was a real marker of their ministry. The second key, Bridging China and Africa, or BCA, is reaching the over one million Chinese, you'll hear about that today, who live and work in Africa. The Bridge uh, Cultural Center in Zambia was officially opened in March 2017. Again, I'll let them talk about that. Uh, Chitenge Creations is a micro-enterprise project started by Marie-José, and it has opened its first sewing school in Pretoria. Again, that's in uh, South Africa. The school is uh, is now moving into the surrounding townships where 62% of South Africans live and up to 90% of the women are unemployed. So after pastoring uh, at Evangel in Montreal for over 13 years, Don and his wife responded to a call from national leaders in Africa to encourage and to equip and to empower leaders to finish strong and become agents of change in their local church and community. Don's ministry journey includes church ministries director for the Eastern Ontario and Quebec District, terms on the executives of both Eastern Ontario and Quebec Districts, Master's College and Seminary, Board of Governors, and the general executive of the PAOC. They're married uh, for 30, wow, let's say that, 35 years. Whoa, 35 years, daughter Stephanie, Jonathan, and his wife Julia are a constant source of blessing and encouragement to them on their missions journey, blah, blah, blah. Would you please welcome Don and Marie-José, man. <laughs> Pastor Joe, you know, he texted me and said, do you have a bio? And I said, well, just go to our website, but you know us well. And uh, I, I might have to change that bio. It's all true, all the things we've done, but it seems a little self-serving. It, it just, uh, that's not what it's all about. But thank you, Pastor Joe. And wow, uh, I think if I'm if I go too far down a rabbit trail, we'll take too much time. There's just so many things I could say. Uh, some of the people in the room that we know, many who we don't know, watching Pastor Joe and Janet and their life over these number of years since about 1995. And uh, just to see their journey and now to see this church in operation and your support of this church is amazing. And I'm not saying what I'm about to say because you are supporting our ministry. But I am convinced, totally convinced, that as a church thinks globally, God blesses it locally. I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I've, I've proven that in our own ministry. Um, and I believe you as a church are going, you're already seeing the blessings of God as you uh, think outside of the box, as you think not only locally, but globally, and as you think globally, God will honor you locally. So thanks, Pastor Joe, for this opportunity, and it's so good to be here today, and uh, you've mentioned the three keys. My wife's going to share two of them. I will share the third, and then we'll have a brief video before we look into the Word of God, and I'm excited about the Word of God this morning, because I feel in my heart 
it's timely for a church that's about one year of age. So we'll get to that in a few moments. Mrs. Mann, yep. Marie-José, MJ, my beautiful French Quebec wife. Well, I said French Canadian at a French church a while back, and it was pretty silent. So I'm saying French Quebecer, yes, and I think I'm now politically correct. So let's, uh, let's talk about some of these keys this morning. As Don has already said, what a pleasure to be with you this morning. I've really been looking forward to it. I see a beautiful smile, Erin Bibby. <laughs> some faces that we recognize, what a pleasure. Yes, our first key, as Pastor Joe has already mentioned, Chitangi Creation is actually a sewing initiative that was started a few years back in Kitwe in Zambia. And now we've moved its influence. We now have a sewing school in the city center of Pretoria. Already we've celebrated our first graduation just about a year ago, actually. And it's so exciting to see the graduates and also former students that have now started their own sewing enterprises. They're doing phenomenal. They're providing financially towards the needs of their families as well. Most of them work from their home, therefore making it financially sustainable without having the pressure of renting a shop or other as well. Biemba is uh, one of our newest students. She is sponsored. Also, her children are sponsored by the Child Care Plus program of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. They live in a neighboring township uh, along with her three children and husband. They pastor a very small church, and they can hardly meet the financial needs of their home. So therefore, Biemba has become their hope. And they really believe that they will be able to break through in their financial finances. And it's so exciting to watch the family as they eagerly see her develop in her training. And actually, she'll be graduating when I return. We're going to have in November our graduation. So she should be well on her way by the, uh, the beginning of the new year as well. As Joe has already said and mentioned, in another township, we plan on opening our branch school where we are told, listen to that, that upwards to 90% of the women are unemployed. So I don't know what you think, but we really believe that we could come alongside and empower a few women so that they can move ahead as well. Bridging China and Africa. We are so excited with this initiative. We continue to reach. Actually, we have in our bio a million, but we are told that it is now 2 million Chinese that have made Africa their home as they live and work on the continent of Africa. This last March, we celebrated the Bridge Cultural Center. What an incredible weekend. We had guests from Hong Kong, Canada, leaders from all over Zambia gathered together for a weekend of celebration where they were able to witness and hear powerful stories told in Mandarin, all telling about the impact that the Cultural Center is having on the Chinese community in Kitwe, Zambia. Well over 120 Chinese gathered together on the property. It was so excited. We had a barbecue, games, and on and on. And just exciting to see so many of them that were there for the very first time. Just on my way back to South Africa at the airport, I noticed a Chinese young man kept beckoning me over, and he was so 
uh, enthusiastic about it. I made my way over to him. He says, I want you to know, you probably didn't have an, uh, an opportunity to notice that I was there this weekend for the first time at the Cultural Center. And I want you to know that as Chinese, we are so touched and so thankful that there is now a neutral community center where we can gather together as a people group. And by the way, I plan on returning. Mm. It's all about sharing the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our, our third key that we'll talk about just briefly is uh, CLI, Commissioning Lifestyle of Integrity. And let me just take you on a very quick journey. Uh, this year it was our desire. I'm in partnership with Bill Pipke. We're in ministry partner together in these initiatives. And um, pleased to tell you that this year we were able to uh, print. I'm maybe, oh, I'll hold it up a little higher. That might help. We were able to put into print our CLI manual and wrote on the six pillars of integrity. And this is what we use as our teaching tool as we go into different countries. We are presently in five countries and looking to add a sixth country. We go into places like Liberia where this picture was taken and we teach the six pillars of integrity. And then out of this group, uh, we have mentors, cohort mentors, small group ministry where uh, each of the mentors will take this material and they'll teach it uh, to 10 others in their mountain of influence. And so this is how we believe a movement of integrity is going to spread across Africa. I'd like you to pray with me for Sierra Leone. I was there in June just before we uh, came back to Canada. And now we're returning on October the 30th for a two-day CLI summit. I've traveled a lot of African countries in our years on African soil. But I don't know of a country where there is a greater sense of hopelessness. This country's been ravaged by civil war. It's been ravaged by Ebola. And now, most recently, you may have heard in the news, just after I had left Sierra Leone, uh, there was a major flood. And over 500 people uh, died. There are still about uh, 800, I believe, missing. 156 of those people were children. Over 6,000 families who are impacted by that flood. And yet, uh, we have an opportunity to go back, and uh, we taught pastors while I was there. We taught business leaders while there. We uh, uh, talked to the administration of the Freetown City Hall. We talked to over 50 police officers who might look like they are sleeping, but actually they're praying. Some of them had just come off of the night shift, but we had the privilege after speaking on integrity to talk to these police officers and the organizers of the event said to me, you didn't know this before you started, but 100% of these officers are involved in corruption. It's a way of life. It's basically what they're encouraged to do. And yet to stand there and open it up for a Q&A and to hear them slowly begin to talk about the need for integrity. And now we're going back and we're having a two-day summit where uh, many of the people that you've seen in these pictures are coming back together and we're praying actually for hundreds more who will come back together and learn of the six pillars of integrity. Uh, as we left the organizing committee, I left them with 10 manuals. We laid our hands on those manuals. 
And uh, that committee is now mentoring themselves in this material. And when we go back in just about three weeks' time, uh, we will be taking the message of integrity with the belief that there will be a movement across that great country of Sierra Leone. Uh, my wife and I have brought a book with us that uh, I actually put into print this year. I've been blogging since 2009, and it actually started at Evangel. I would just, uh, I'd write a, a, an email to our leaders every Monday, and I would talk about the past week, I'd talk about the Sunday, and talk about things as we move forward uh, into the week. And I continued that blog uh, when we left Evangel, and I've written about 300 since 2009, and I call them my Monday musings. And my small but faithful readership said, Don, you've got to put some of these into print someday. And I just felt that this was the year to do it. So literally we landed in Canada on June the 23rd, I believe it was. And they had arrived from the printer about two days before that. And so uh, these are, in a sense, hot off the press. And we have, I've collected 52 blogs into a small book that's meant for you to use on a Monday morning before you leave for work. Now, Pastor Joe... We all believe in daily devotions. I still have them myself. I know you do. And I encourage everyone to have a daily devotional time. This is a supplement to just get your week started. And, and uh, I'm going to read just a little bit from week 25 because it really leads into this message this morning. And uh, at the end of each blog, there's an opportunity for you to contemplate and muse. And, and uh, so these are available at the table outside for $20. All of it goes to the support of our ministry. Uh, there's cash. We also have a square, uh, which takes Visa, MasterCard, and now American Express. Don't leave home without it. You never know when you're going to need it. And so if you would, uh, and this is not really as much about supporting our ministry, I really believe these blogs can inspire your life. We've had some very positive reports from people who are even studying it together as couples. One has a friend in Florida, and every Monday they get on Skype and they, uh, they discuss the musings together. And so uh, to give you a little sample as it leads into the message, week 25, how do we get Starbucks and Tim Hortons talking? MJ and I stopped at a Tim Hortons the other day on our way through to London, Ontario. It was filled with hat-wearing senior citizens socializing over a hot cup of coffee. Their big decision was whether they wanted a small, medium, or large. On the, uh, at least two occasions that same weekend, I enjoyed a grande pumpkin spice latte with no cream in a London Starbucks. Both times I noticed it was filled with an intergenerational crowd of computer-carrying, Kindle-bearing people sipping on a coffee that depends upon learning a whole new language when ordering at the counter, a tall or a grande uh, or a vante. It's no wonder that we experience challenges, misunderstandings, and even fears between generations. Think about it. If you are a computer-savvy individual who doesn't mind mortgaging his or her house to buy a coffee and who finds it easy to learn a new language, then the free Wi-Fi Starbucks is for you. However, 
If you want to save for retirement and don't depend on 24-7 access to the internet, then Tim's is the place to be, although they now offer free internet as well. And for the rest of the story, buy the book. <laughs> but I, I use that this morning to talk, and I, I am very careful with this word. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to use this word I was going to use. I felt early this morning that in my heart, this church has the opportunity to do what this message is about. Because I believe if we are going to be effective in the days to come as the church, we are going to have to learn to start talking together. We're going to have to stop fearing one another. There's a lot of talk of millennials today, those who are between the ages of 16 to 29. Now it's actually creeping to about 30 to 33 years of age. There's a lot of talk about millennials today, and there's a lot of talk about the fact that millennials are walking away from the church. And we need to start talking. We need to start understanding each other. Jesus did it. There's a story in three of the four Gospels that was obviously important enough that Jesus had a conversation with what the Bible says was a young, rich man. I, I engage in as many conversations I can with the generations coming behind me. And I, I, I've had conversations literally around the world this past uh, March, I was in Nairobi, Kenya, which has been considered for many years a Christian nation. And uh, there are many large churches across Kenya and across Nairobi. And I was, I was in a, uh, a restaurant very close to your, your parents' home. And uh, I got talking to the young lady who was serving us. And I, I said to her, uh, tell me about God and the church. And I, I have to say, it was the first time in, in Kenya that I had someone say to me these words that uh, actually God is of no interest to me and church is, no, is of no interest to me. I've kind of put God and the church on the shelf. She was very honest with me. And, and folk, that's, that's kind of new conversation in Kenya. I'd not had that kind of conversation before. I was preaching at a camp in Alberta this summer, and uh, they had a youth service for all of the young people, and had a youth pastor there, and I had lunch with him, and I asked him how the week was going, and he said, well, we, we're having a Q&A today and tomorrow, and I said, what are some of the questions that young people are asking right now? And the fact is that there is a generation of young people who are, who are confused. There's a generation of young people who, who just don't know how to handle life. And we're going to address a couple of those things in just a moment. This story of Jesus and talking to a rich young man has a text that many of us, especially if you've grown up in church, have heard and maybe heard many messages and tend to get excited with this verse. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I love that verse. It's a powerful verse. 
But every verse needs to understand its context. And the context of this verse is found in Matthew chapter uh, 19, verse 16 to 26. And let me take time to just walk you through it very, very quickly. A A man comes up to Jesus and asks, Teacher, what good thing, good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? A lot of us hope that the good things we do in life will allow us to experience eternal life. Jesus said, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. And so this rich young man says, well, well, which ones? And Jesus says, well, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you, you read into this story because of what you read later on is that the rich young man, he starts to get a big smile on his face because he's listening to this list and he's thinking, I'm okay. I do these things. And you can tell he's getting very excited. I I guess I'm going to inherit eternal life. And so with this big smile on his face, he he then says, well, uh, Jesus, I've kept all of these. Uh, What do I still lack? Then Jesus says, If you want to be perfect, if you want to move from good to perfect, then you need to go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, so that you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. Man, if we had time today, I I, I could look at all four words with you. Go. Sell, give, follow. Wow. Go, sell, give, come, follow. The Bible says in Mark, where it's recorded the same story, that the young man's face literally fell. It went from a smile to I can just see his mouth and his jaw opening because the Bible says he was very wealthy. He had much. Now, there's some people that would read this story. They would say, well, there you go. If you're young, if you're rich, you're probably not very godly. That is not what this story is about. Jesus goes on, and his disciples said, whoa, Jesus, then who can inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, As a matter of fact, I love the way it puts it. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He he says it's actually easier for the camel to get through the eye of a needle. And now scholars today are saying that's not necessarily about the eastern gate in in Jerusalem's wall. It's, It's Jesus actually saying it's that difficult to give your life to Jesus Christ. And that's where the text comes then. Uh, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, you can be rich and know Jesus. You can be young and know Jesus. What it's really saying to all of us is sometimes the unwillingness to take what is in our hands and lay it down. We tend to want to keep what we have 
take more into our hands, try to juggle everything, and hope that we can uh, keep busy and still have eternal life. Jesus says, sometimes you have to lay some things down in order to take other things up. And it doesn't mean that God's going to call you to lay down your riches. It doesn't mean, as a young person, that you just have to give up your dreams and your career and your, your career advancement. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply says to us what God has put into your hands, what He's entrusted to you. Are you willing to give up what He calls you to give up, to take up what He calls you to take up? in order to be effective for kingdom purposes. And that's where a lot of people go away sad because they fear what they might have to give up. So let's very quickly this morning uh, walk through this together and uh, just uh, see what we can make of it. Let me talk about the rich young man first. H emphasis on the rich. Folk, um, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we've, we've got it all wrong if we think you cannot be rich and serve God. You cannot be rich and enter into God's kingdom. That is not true. Let me tell you very quickly about a man. And uh, at, at near, near the end uh, of this message, I'm changing things just a little bit. I will come to the video in a few minutes. And you will see uh, the video of our Bridge Cultural Center. And you will see what God is doing there. But uh, long story made short, we were looking to rent a piece of property, and it ends up that we were able to buy an, uh, a 13-acre piece of land with two large homes on it that suffice for our ministry for reaching out to the Chinese. A young rich man that I've been praying with by Skype, and uh, not by Skype, by phone call actually for about close to 15 years, began to hear of our ministry to the Chinese. And he said to me, Don, my wife and I have talked. The property was 350000 U.S. dollars. And we said, God, how are we going to do this? But God spoke into that rich young man's life. And he and his wife said, we're going to give the first 150000 U.S. dollars. And then we were rejoicing. My wife and I were at the center uh, last November. We had spent a Sunday with over 30 Chinese people. We, we had an incredible day. We went to bed that night excited. But after 35 years of marriage, you tend to think the same. And it was like the enemy was trying to rob all of our joy from that day and pull it from us. And suddenly we said, this has been a wonderful day, but we've got to find another 250000 U.S. dollars. How are we going to do it? And we went to bed with a heaviness. I know that it was the, the enemy's desire to rob all of our joy. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, we have, we have light and darkness in our world. We have good and evil. And, and just as good things happen, sometimes the evil things try to override the good. The next day I got out of our room and I opened my emails, the same rich young man was on an airplane going on a business trip to Dallas, Texas. And he was reading his Bible on the plane. A rich, young man reading his open Bible on the plane. Interesting. And he's reading in Malachi. And I know this rich, young man gives uh, very faithfully his tithes and offerings to his local church. So don't misunderstand this. 
But as he's reading in Malachi, bring the whole tithe, God begins to say to him, why did you just pay half of the property? Why didn't you pay the whole? And he wrote and said, my wife and I over the next three years are going to pay for the entire property. A rich young man with his Bible open on an airplane, God speaks to him. Just had lunch with him two weeks ago. He opened up to myself and another man. And matter of fact, uh, he, he gave me permission to share this. Because he's going through a challenge. The minute they committed to paying the whole property, some of his major contracts fell through. And he said to me, and he said it over lunch, and he said it again last week on a phone call. He said, Don, the enemy is not going to get the upper hand. I will continue to fulfill my commitment. And you can tell people that even when it seems like uh, it's all going wrong, we are not going to give up. And we believe God. We believe God that we're going to see this replicated across Africa. So I want to remind you that in the story of the rich young man, in Luke, Jesus records this story in the very next chapter. There's a very short man who's a tax collector and very wealthy, gets up in a tree, and he wants to see Jesus. Jesus calls him down from the tree and says, I, I need to go to your house tonight. He went for supper, and the whole family came into a relationship with God that night. A rich tax collector. You see, Jesus died for the whole world, the rich, the young, the poor, the in-between. So let's remind ourselves that God uses people from all walks of life. Second is the rich, young man. We've already alluded to it. Folk, I am convinced that we have a generation of people, they call them millennials. We've, we've, we've got every age level right now that is living in total confusion. Which religion is right? Which God is right? And, and, and they're trying to figure out what is truth. Uh, how do we know what truth is? These young people in Alberta, some of the questions that they asked, things like, uh, what is truth? How do we know that God exists? They asked questions like, what do we do with this whole gender inclusiveness? What do we do in, in, in understanding about uh, transgender relationships? This is, this is our young people in our Canadian society today that are asking these questions. And now most recently, which now I guess they call them uh, uh, Generation uh, Z which is now those who are just in the age levels. And let me make sure I say it right. So let me just make sure that I don't mislead you today. But now there's concern with, with the, this next generation that's saying uh, those born in the 90s and into the 2000s, there, there's concern that they are isolating themselves with their smartphones. And I, I chose these pictures because here's one lady totally on her own, isolated and talking to her friends by cell phone. But here's a group of young people who are together but isolated. And now there's concern that this isolation is going to lead to unhappiness. And there's actually studies saying that the rate of suicide is going up because of isolation. 
I'd suggest to you that we're in a day of major confusion. And there's a generation coming behind us that has a lot of questions, and they'd like to be able to ask them without being judged. I, I've been meeting uh, in Pretoria with the University of Pretoria, Chi Alpha Group. These are young men and women studying to be doctors and engineers. And I have learned that in the times we've had together, it's not me coming in with all the answers. As a matter of fact, when I tell them I don't have all the answers, they just open up their hearts. And we're, We've had, uh, over the last couple of years, some incredible discussions about truth and what is the GPS, what is it that will lead us to, to truth. The fact is, millennials, those ages 16 to 29, need to know that people are willing to listen without passing judgment. Folk, we've, we've, we've got to make some changes. And I believe, I was going to use the word prophetic earlier, and I, I, I'm very nervous of that word because I don't consider myself to have a prophetic gift. And I think the word prophetic is misused in the church today. But I do feel in my heart, as I was thinking of this church this morning, you have the most incredible opportunity ahead of you to build a church that's intergenerational, that learns to listen together, learns to discuss together without casting judgment, and learns that we can learn from one another. Great book, You Lost Me, by David Kinnaman. I encourage everyone who's over the age of 30 to buy this book so that we can start to understand each other better because there's a concern that we're losing a generation. We're losing them to the church and maybe even to faith in God. And listen to what he says. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to go through this quickly. Are you open to reverse mentoring wherein you allow younger leaders to challenge your faith and to renew the church? Uh, great question. And then it goes on. The next generation is aching for influence, for significance, for lives of meaning and impact. What if God is preparing this generation for great exploits in his name? What if a new renaissance of global missions could be realized by this generation. A, a new renaissance of global missions. And I'm going to ask for the video now in just a moment. And as you listen to this video, watch closely because uh, I'm going to end with a challenge after you've seen this video. And watch some of what happens, in particular our Chinese missionary. And then I'll come with a very brief challenge before I turn it back to Pastor Joe. I'm going to ask if you could just go to that last slide where the hands are open and there's something coming out of the hand. And I'm going to ask you, as uh, we get prepared to bring this time together to an end, if you would do something with me, and you don't need to feel uncomfortable because we're all going to do it. I'm going to ask you to take your hands and put them in front of you. And uh, let me challenge us with something this morning. I want to ask you what is in your hands. I asked you to watch this video closely, and you may have seen our Chinese missionary, JJ. He's in a wheelchair. He's now in his early 50s, and when he was one year of age, he contacted polio, and he has been crippled and handicapped ever since literally lives in a wheelchair. He applied to university five times in China. He was refused five times, but he persisted, and on the sixth time, he was accepted. He's an author of books and 
Most recently, he developed a kindergarten school in China that numbered 1,600 children. He didn't see his handicap as an obstacle. He sees it as an opportunity. And as a matter of fact, in a recent conversation with J.J. in his vehicle, he said, Don, I'm actually not praying for God's healing because I believe God uses me the way I am. It's amazing. And then he took his success and he laid it all down and moved his young family to Zambia. Today they are ministering to many, many Chinese through social media. And earlier today, because of the six-hour time difference, there was about 30 Chinese at our cultural center singing Chinese worship songs and hearing the gospel message. I didn't get to a third part of my message today, what I call the mature and the vulnerable. Those of us like myself who are 55 years of age or over, sometimes just as millennials are saying, can we please ask questions without being judged? We who are older and more mature, we, we are wondering if the millennials need us anymore or even interested in us. And so those of us who are 55 years of age plus look at our hands and say, most of my life is behind me. Is, is there still something for me to do? There are hands this morning that you are looking at that are 33 years of age or younger, and I'm so thrilled to see so many of this generation coming behind us in this room today. You look at your hands, and some of you have dreams, and you've released those dreams to God. Some of you have dreams, but you fear that those dreams, maybe they won't be accepted. Some maybe look at your hands and say, there's too many things I want in life. I'm not ready to lay them down. And so to lay them down, your face would fall in sadness. I just ask all of us to look at our hands this morning. The Bible says about watching and praying, and I believe it's appropriate today for us to pray with our, our eyes wide open as we look in the palm of our hands. What is in your hands? There are people in this room today of all ages who feel like your hands are empty. And you don't really know what God wants to do with you. I want to challenge you to keep your hands open and let God put into your hands dreams that can be used for kingdom purposes in the future. Whatever your situation, Father, we open our hands before you. And we take what is in our hands and we surrender them those things to you. Lord, some of us, we know there's things that we should lay down, but we are afraid to let them go. And we either try to pick things up and juggle it all, or we, we fail to pick things up that we'd like to pick up because we are afraid of what we have to let go of. Some, Lord, are fumbling with the gifts in their hands because they've got too much in their hands, trying to keep it all together. There are people who are mature in this room who, who wonder if their hands that may be scarred may, may even be somewhat wrinkled and calloused by hard work in life and say, is there really anything for me to do? 
God, every one of us in this room, you have a plan and a purpose. You've put things in our hands for kingdom purposes. And I pray that as city reach moves forward, those hands would unite together. The hands of all ages would join together, would start to communicate together, would start to have conversations over cups of coffee together, and that this church would be effective in reaching out to the south shore of Montreal because they learned the value of working hand-in-hand intergenerationally. We pray your blessing upon this church and upon every hand in this room. In Jesus' name.